Good morning, good morning, good morning, kindred family. My name is Reverend Chipo Johnson, and I am the pastor of students here at Damascus International Fellowship. It is a blessing and an honor to be worshiping with you all this morning as we enter into our fourth week of our Kindred 2020 series entitled Beyond Colorblind. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Kindred is a partnership between Damascus International Fellowship, Evangelical Chinese Church, and University Presbyterian Church. Our churches, which are located in Seattle and Redmond, have partnered together to walk with one another on a journey towards the heart of God through racial reconciliation. It is our desire to demonstrate to those around us what it means to be the multi-ethnic family of God. I'd also like to take this time to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. We thank God for those who have been a mother to each and every one of us, and we thank God for each and every one of you. This morning, I will be preaching a sermon entitled, Listening Cross-Culturally. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to two passages. The first is from the book of Ruth in chapter one, and the second passage is from the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter. I will begin with the Ruth text and read verses eight and nine, followed by 16 through 18. And the scripture reads as follows. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, turn back each of you to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more so even if death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. Matthew chapter one, verses one through six. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Verse 17, so there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile of Babylon to Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord is already blessed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for this moment, this preaching moment. We ask, Father, that as I preach this word, that you would minister not just to your people, but that you would also minister to me. That you would use this text to 
Reveal to us your truth about grace, about hope, about love, about what it means to be the multi-ethnic family of God and how we can listen cross-culturally to bring you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read a story, what is it about the story that grabs our attention and compels us to keep on reading? What is it about the story that invites us to see ourselves in the characters we're reading about? And what is it that makes the story a classic or a favorite, which we willingly choose to pass down to our children and our grandchildren? If I tell you the story of a little lady who encounters a stranger, intrigued by the basket of food she is carrying for her grandmother, do you find connection with the story because it sounds familiar? Are you curious when I tell you that she's not carrying cake and wine, but she's carrying in her basket a rooster, a watermelon, and a delicious pink drink? Or perhaps you relate to her more if I tell you that she's carrying boudin and étouffée. Can you relate to her story when I tell you that she is not blonde with blue eyes, but has dark straight hair? Does her story still interest you if she doesn't wear a red cape, but instead wears pretty sandals, pretty beads, and a pretty wrap over her pretty dress? What if it is the little lady who stays at home while her mother leaves to visit her grandmother? When we hear a story, what is it about the story that grabs our attention and compels us to keep on listening? The story of Little Red Riding Hood is a familiar one, but not many of us have heard it told from different cultural perspectives. The question becomes, what is the benefit of hearing different versions of the same story? Stories hold power, and we see this every day when we watch TV or interact on social media. The way that a story is presented, how often it's repeated, and who gets to control the narrative is driven by the person or the organization with the most power. Often when we hear and share stories, we base the importance or credibility of the story on the power of the person who generated it or the person we received it from. Whether we acknowledge it or not, these same factors come into play when we listen to and communicate with one another. The way we tell a story or listen to a story can shape the way that we see and interact with one another. In a presentation entitled The Danger of a Single Story, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, a Nigerian novelist, says this, we create a single story when we present a person or people group as one thing and only that one thing over and over again until that is what they become. The single story creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. The consequence of the single story is this. It robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. And it emphasizes how we are different rather than how we are similar. When we hear a story, what is it about the story that grabs our attention and compels us to keep listening. Language, culture, upbringing, and exposure all influence the way that we receive, perceive, and process information. They influence the way that we listen. When individuals communicating with each other do not have these things in common, 
it is possible for them to experience what is known as communication noise. Communication noise is anything that distorts a spoken or written message by completely changing its intended meaning. When this noise is the result of cultural differences, we can refer to it as cultural noise. Cultural noise can be experienced when simple everyday words like lit, salty, fit, and thirsty are used as slang terminology or when your teenager sends you an emoji that you don't understand. Culture is not just about ethnicity and nationality. A person's gender, age, socioeconomic status, and even their neighborhood can all create or influence their culture. All of these things together affect the way that we listen. So how does culture influence the way that we listen to each other? Well, the easiest way to explain this would be for us to take a look at what we do when we read or hear a familiar passage of scripture, such as the ones that were presented earlier. Let us start with the Matthew text. What is the first thing that you noticed when you read it? What do you look for or as you keep on reading? What do you highlight or underline or read again? And what do you skip over? Your answers to these questions are based not just on your culture, but also on whether or not you read the text with a single story in mind. Male-dominant culture, feminist culture, Western culture, and minority culture each tell and listen to a different story when Matthew chapter 1 is read. We get a clearer glimpse of these differences when we focus on verses 3, 5, and 6, which mention the names of four women included in this long genealogy. The names of these women are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. It is common practice to ask the question, why are these women mentioned and what is the significance of mentioning them? It is also common practice to attempt to highlight the things that all the women share in common. Our cultural perspective influences what we highlight and what story we tell or what story we listen to. So what are some examples of the single stories that we might listen to? Well, we may listen to the story that emphasizes negative attributes to showcase the women, but not the men. For example, it may be mentioned that Tamar was a prostitute when in fact she was not. Or the single story may call Bathsheba an adulteress, but fail to mention that David was an adulterer and a murderer. Another single story we listen to may seek to portray the women as victims of male dominance in an effort to liberate them from the negative light that patriarchal theology has placed them in. A different single story may attempt to promote the idea that all the women in, the Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1 are Gentiles. However, if you listen carefully to the Old Testament, you realize that the scripture doesn't promote this in any particular way. And even if we do assume that Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, and Bathsheba are included in Jesus' genealogy because they are Gentiles, then how do we explain why Mary is included in verse 16? When we listen to scripture through cultural noise, we hear what we want to hear and may miss what God is trying to get us to grasp. When we listen to culture, to scripture through scriptural, through cultural noise, we risk the possibility of not being able to hear the heartbeat of God within the passage. An example of this is seen in the way that the book of Ruth is often described or classified. 
Many scholars highlight the fact that God doesn't feature actively in the text. What do they mean when they say this? When they say this, they're focusing on the fact that God doesn't speak, that God doesn't give instruction, that God doesn't send a messenger, and that God doesn't perform a miraculous act in the book of Ruth. So how does this point of view impact the way that we read and listen to the book of Ruth? Well, right now, as a nation and as other nations as well, we are going through this coronavirus pandemic. And as we go through this pandemic, many people are asking the question, where is God in all of this? We ask this question because we cannot see him performing any grand miracles to end the pandemic. And we can't hear evidence of him speaking or sending a messenger to respond to those whose loved ones have become sick or even died as a result of the COVID-19 virus. We haven't received any instructions from God on what to do to save our businesses or provide for our families and their financial needs. Right now, in this moment, many people may be asking the question, God, where are you in the midst of all this pain and suffering? If you read the book of Ruth or listen to the heartbreaking stories of your friends and neighbors through a cultural perspective that believes God is only present when he performs a miracle or speaks in an audible voice, then in those moments of stillness and silence, we will respond in the way that Naomi did. In Ruth chapter one, verses 20 to 21, Ruth says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant, but call me Mara. Call me bitter, because the sovereign one has treated me very harshly. The Lord has caused me to return empty-handed, and he has opposed me and caused me to suffer. If we read the book of Ruth or listen to the text through the perspective of Hollywood culture, what we end up looking for is the romance in the story. We view Boaz as the handsome knight in shining armor, who bestows kindness and favor on Ruth because of her exceptional beauty. We hear wedding bells from the moment he asks his servant, who is that lady over there? And we encourage our single friends to wait for their Boaz to appear. When we listen to the text through either of these cultural perspectives, we're missing the point the author is trying to make. Now, granted, when we read the text in English, we are at a slight disadvantage because the clue which was meant to point us to God is translated from the Hebrew word as kindness or faithfulness. Neither of these words accurately present the true meaning of what is taking place. The word being translated is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is not a word that can be translated with a single English word. It is an action that is lived out. Hesed is an attribute of God which gives unceasingly, that is everlastingly, to his covenant people. When we show hesed towards one another, we reflect the hesed of God. In the book, Ruth, a pastoral and contextual commentary, Havila Daram, Daramraj defines hesed as follows. She says, Hesed has been translated variously as covenant, loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion. But it might need more than a word to extract its full essence. It is an unswerving commitment to the good of another, even at the cost of oneself, 
motivated by and modeled on Jesus. When we bring Hesed to the forefront of the story, we realize that Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all do what they do, not because they are driven by duty or driven by legal obligation or swayed by romantic feelings, but because they are being moved by the power of Hesed. Each one of them has the freedom to walk away without fear of tarnishing their reputation, yet they willingly pour themselves out for the good of someone else. And that is Hesed. It is living the way that God intended human beings to live with each other from the beginning. If our culture influences the way that we listen to and interpret scripture, then the question becomes how do our cultural influences impact the way that we respond to God's plan? How do they influence the way that we receive and represent Jesus? If you listen to the book of Ruth carefully, you notice that the introduction is meant to connect you to the book of Judges. The acts of Hesed that we see demonstrated by Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are all being done in the setting where there was no king and everyone did what they felt was right in the time when the judges ruled. So what kinds of things were people doing when there was no king? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Towards the end of the book of Judges, we find the Levites, that is the people who are supposed to be set apart to represent God because of their faithful loyalty towards him, are the very ones who are noticeably disregarding the statutes God has given to Moses. They are offering their services to, want, to anyone who will pay, even if they're asked to include idols in their worship. They're not living in the cities God told them to live in, and they're not providing guidance or refuge for people in need. It is in this context that a Levite, who should be showing said, chooses to put his wife in danger in order to protect himself. In this passage about the Levite, we notice that it also connects us back to Genesis, where God reveals to us his original intent, which is for us to demonstrate said for one another. This passage about the Levite starts off by mentioning that the Levite had the opportunity to stop in a nearby town that his servant told him about because it was getting dark. But the Levite chose not to stay there because he didn't want to stay in a place that was habited by foreigners. Instead, he chose to stay in the place that was habited by his own people. In Genesis, we find that God sends messengers to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they get to Sodom and Gomorrah, the messengers sit at the gate waiting for someone to invite them in. In Genesis, Lot invites them in. In the book of Judges, this man, the Levite, waits for hours upon hours among his people who should be demonstrating kindness and favor and loyalty and compassion through Hesed by inviting him in. And it gets even darker before an old man finally says to him, come and stay in my house. Mirroring the text in Genesis, we find that in Genesis, the men of the city come knocking on Lot's door asking if they can have their way with the messengers. And the messengers show said by pulling Lot into safety and protecting Lot and his daughters and his household. But in the passage of Judges, when the Levite is given the same opportunity to protect the household, when the men of the city come knocking on the door asking if they can have their way with the Levite, the Levite reaches out 
his hand through the door in the same way that God's messengers did for Lot. And the Levite pulls the old man back into the house. But instead of protecting the family, he puts his wife out and lets the men have their way with her. The Levite, who should be showing his said, puts his wife in danger to protect himself. So what does this comparison between Ruth and the Levite have to do with listening cross-culturally? Well, when we read the text of Ruth, we notice that it is Ruth, the foreigner, foreigners that the Levite rejected, who shows more loyalty, faithfulness, courage, compassion, kindness, and integrity than the Levite who is supposed to represent God. We agreed earlier that stories have power and that there is danger in telling and listening to a single story. By showing how Ruth's narrative corrects the narrative of the Levite, we elevate Ruth, we empower women, and we embrace Gentiles, but we also run the risk of doing so at the expense of the Levite and those whom he represents. The question then becomes, how do we listen to Ruth's story through the lens of Hesed without disqualifying others in the process? We do it by finding the grace in the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Many of us are familiar with the story of Little Red Riding Hood, but few of us are familiar with the origins of her story. The original French version of the story was written as a warning to young people, to young girls specifically, to be weary of perpetrators who could easily trick them. Failure to listen to the counsel of their guardians could lead them to be duped and devoured by villainous individuals. There was no happy ending and there was no grace. Over the years, the story of Red Riding Hood has been adapted and rewritten multiple times. Many versions typically present Red Riding Hood as a foolish little girl who gets into trouble because she failed to listen to her mother's warning. They tell the story of a little girl who must be rescued because she's too naive to take care of herself. When we make this the only version of the Little Red Riding Hood story that we listen to, we find ourselves in one of four places. Place number one, people who reject the story because it paints the picture of women as nothing more than naive victims. Place number two, people who reject the story because they can't see themselves in it. Place number three, people who embrace the story but do not notice how we are shaping the minds of our daughters and granddaughters to think that their value lies only in their beauty and their ability to be rescued. And place number four, people who ask the question, where am I in the story, as they embrace it in an attempt to listen for the heartbeat of grace. What do I mean? People in place number four appreciate the history of the story. They appreciate how the story started in France and was adapted in Germany and then adapted multiple times in England and America until it became the popular version we know today. They appreciate the original intent of the creator and see his desire to warn and protect the vulnerable. But they also see the intent of those who have adapted the story to tell the truth about danger without scaring little children to death. They are able to see the good things about the story and the ride, red, Little Red Riding Hood character in the midst of the negative. But most importantly, they are able to see redemption in the story. They see that by taking the question, where am I in the story? And by listening to the story from a place of openness and not rejection, that they're able to see themselves in the story. 
Red Riding Hood's blue eyes and blonde hair her and her ethnicity are no longer the one thing that either unites or distances us. They realize that the thing we all have in common with Red Riding Hood is the fact that she didn't listen. Whether we are male or female, old or young, blonde or not, no matter what ethnicity we are or what culture we live in, we all fail to listen. And when we recognize that, we are able to embrace the Red Riding Hood story for what it is and retell it from our ethnic perspective. We are able to learn from one another's adaptation of the story and find grace, not just for Red Riding Hood, but for ourselves as well. Let me explain what I mean. When I listen to Red Riding Hood cross-culturally, I find out that Red Riding Hood is also known as La, Pe La Petite Rouge, which is the Cajun version from New Orleans. I find that Le Petit Rouge is called Pretty Selma in Ghana, and that Pretty Selma's story is called Lon Popo in China. When I listen cross-culturally with my ear tuned towards grace, I find that like us, all the little ladies get into trouble by not listening to wisdom. But I also notice that like us, there is redemption in their story. Redemption that shows up on the scene when the little ladies do something that Ruth does in her story. Like Ruth, the little ladies do not attempt to navigate through their tragic situation alone. They partner with one another. They partner with others. Just as Ruth and Naomi work together to find redemption in their story. By partnering with others, we allow God's grace to move us beyond a, a place of being a victim to being an overcomer. Grace enables La Petite Rouge to look past the differences of the person who can help her. And instead of saying, you can't help me because we don't share the same ethnicity, she is able to partner with her cat to find victory over Claude the alligator. Grace allows pretty Selma to overcome her guilt and her shame for not listening. And she confesses what she has done. And this allows her to partner with her grandfather and one of her friends to chase Mr. Dog away. And Shang has the opportunity to tell her sisters all about their mistakes. But instead, Grace allows her to see the need to protect them. And instead of focusing on what they have done wrong, she partners with them to defeat the wolf. It is with this in mind that when we now listen to the genealogy of Jesus, we're able to hear echoes of God's grace being amplified throughout the text. No longer do we amplify the negative aspects of their story. Instead, when we listen to Jesus's genealogy, we see ourselves in the story. We no longer see the women as other or as separate. And we no longer think that it's strange that Jesus's genealogy mentions these five women. When we listen cross-culturally through grace, we hear God's grace saying, I have covered you with my wing. I have covered you with my grace. When you failed to represent me, I covered you with my grace. When you failed to show my hesed, I covered you with my grace. When you thought only of yourself and failed to protect those around you, I'm talking to you, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Solomon, the Levite, 
I'm talking to you, nation of Israel, and I'm talking to you, Damascus, ECC, and UPC. All of you who call yourselves my people, I covered you with my grace. I am the Lord, and I covered you my, with my grace by retelling your story through Jesus Christ. You are all connected, not by ethnicity or nationality, but by my chesed, which I have shown to each of you. And when you value each other, looking past one another's faults and flaws to show chesed to one another, that is when you truly represent me. It is in this context that we are reminded of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus shows that it is love for God and neighbor, which makes one eligible for eternal life, not nationality or social status. It is in this context that we are reminded of Jesus's words, who is my mother and my brother in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus says, my brother, my mother, and my sister are whoever do the will of my father. It is in this context of pain and suffering, grief and loss, in this period of great instability and uncertainty that we are called to listen to and respond to Hesed. Hesed calls us to see the active presence of God displayed in the life and in the community of kindred. Amen.